just starting um, incentivize up, right? Yes. Yeah. So it, you know, it is my third startup. Yeah. Um, so I've learned a lot throughout these these processes. There's a lot of stuff that I will not repeat. Um, I'm trying to build this one uh, with a lot of knowledge and um, and and speed. Uh, one of the things that my first startup was a computer vision company, and we were we were young, we were dreamers. We thought you know the pie in the sky, everything is possible. And so we tried to do at the very beginning almost everything all at the same time. Instead of focusing on one or two products, yeah. knowing my, our customers, we tried to build it and hope that the customers were going to come to us. It took us a long time to, I hate to say grow up um, or learn it the hard way, but we, we, uh, we still managed to, to, to uh, you know, uh, it was a win. We had created a beautiful patent portfolio of uh, 150 patents, domestic and international. Mm. Um, and we licensed it. So it was, you know, but could we have done it quicker? It's quite possible. Yeah. So also so, we did something very, very complex. <laughs> so, I mean, you were in that company for eight years or was it longer? So, so the whole story is that, you know, I did banking, for, for a decade. And then I started a computer vision company in 2004 and we sold it in 2019. So it was a long time. And, and mind you, when we started the, this, this computer vision company, the computing power uh, other than on the server side was just not, was not you know, readily available to us. So yeah. cloud computing, forget about it. There was no iPhones back then. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't, you know, we weren't in the-, in the No, no AWS, no AWS either. No, it didn't exist yet. Yeah. So, I mean, these are beautiful things. We had our own servers, we had our own. And of course, the idea was to be able to have this computing power on in a computer. At a certain point, we tried to do that at the very beginning and the car was all computer. Now, of course, it's changed radically. If you if I started the company today, it would have been much faster, much easier. So, so let's just go over the basic technology as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, was, computer vision recognition. So recognizing the objects, recognizing the objects even in shadow. So if you had a high contrast between say a sunny side of the street and a dark side of the street, the, the computer wouldn't be confused by the shadow and would be able to discern objects within the shady side as well as within the sunny side. Right, although, main, yeah, yeah, although we're, 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 there's a lot of people that did object recognition. We didn't do that. What we did is a very basic, component that you and I do on a, on a regular basis. It's called human visual perception. So what we did is we took an image and we separated it between material and illumination. What does that mean? So illumination is the light that's being shined over the material, right? And the material is the material. Why is this important? Well, our brains do this constantly. In fact, your brain is doing it right now and is using an, an enormous amount of brain power just to be able to deal with this, this uh, visual uh, image, this vi visual uh, uh, stream that's coming to you. Hmm. So why are we giving computer just one signal and saying, hey, figure it out? Say, I don't know, you, you deal with it. Uh, if I turn the lights off right now, and I'm, I'm gonna do this right now, see the lights just changing my face. Yeah. Well, you didn't stop recognizing me. No. The computer looked at my face and saw a vast difference in pixel value from here to here. Mm. And yet 
you can do that without, you know, in fact, I could show up tomorrow with a beard or with a hair and you would still recognize me. And that is human visual perception. That's why you can get into a car and drive around a neighborhood you've never been in without any sort of cues, you can drive. Yeah. So what we did with computers is the same thing. We took an image and of course we're doing this, you know, a hundred times per second, uh, if not more. We're taking an image and we're separating, we're sending the computer two images. One is material, one is illumination. And by doing so, the computer can do the object recognition, right? Um, That's, we didn't do that part. There are other people that did that brilliantly, but by the computer can all of a sudden now see better. So, uh, or a, an, a, a, a trick uh, in a way, because there was no new hardware. We weren't adding another camera. We weren't uh, putting a LiDAR on the top of the car. We're just providing a new signal for the computer to, to understand. So now all of a sudden the cars could drive through potholes, or I say drive through shadows and not think that they're potholes. They could drive through tunnels. Uh, when we started, you know, you would go to a face recognition system and it would be giant, giant lights being sh uh, shine on your face because they could not deal with any shadows on your face. Oh, I see. Now, I don't know if you've seen them. If you go through these passport control things, oh, yeah. there's no lights. Very little I've limited. Through, I've been through quite a few in the past week. Oh, oh you see, no, yes. <laughs> well, the new technologies doesn't need doesn't need all this illumination because it can deal with the the differences in light. Yeah, it has a, it has a little it has a a single source of light that right by the camera it illuminates for a little bit, but it's not it's not like you were saying you're not bathed in light like you were. Yeah, trying. because the computer cannot see. Yeah the way you and I see. So this opened up a whole avenue of, of products that I I believe is, I, I sold the company and we're, we're no longer involved in it, but um, maybe I had a little bit of a, a PTSD that I needed to get away from, uh, from this, but um, they are still licensing that technology and yeah. it's still something that's um, a very important feature that's, that I believe will be going on for, for a long time. That's great. So. I mean, that's that's a really valuable contribution, I think. It, so. so it took you 15 years yes. to, to, to realize all the work that you did over those 15 years and finally liquidate, you know, and sell the company. So if you were doing it again, and it was 2004, what yeah. would you do differently than, what would you, what, so what things would you kind of skirt around and what things would you still plow through? Because I'm sure there's some things you plow through that you still have to plow. Would even if it were the value of, even with the you know hindsight, you know uh, you still might have to dredge through some of those channels, and then some of them you just skip right over. So what would you still do, and what would you what would you do differently, and how would you shorten that timeline? Yes. All right. Well, first is. Um... There's the time aspect that is very complex in this particular startup. This is a company that was started at the edge of what was when it was possible. If, like I said, if we had started this company today in 2023, we would have the computing power, we would have the clients, we would have the need. And back then in 2004, there was no assisted driving. We talked to people, we, you know, there was no Tesla. Uh, we took, we'd go and talk to Ford and they were like, uh-huh, 
they didn't see it. They couldn't see it and they probably still can't see it. Um, but so there's an aspect of time. When are you doing this? Now, the good thing is that because we started back in 2004, we didn't have a lot of competition. Computer vision was a nascent industry. Uh, we, were, we were not competing with Google or uh, Amazon for computer vision uh, talent coming out of CMU or Cornell or MIT. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot easier. Today, we would be competing with them and their salaries would be in astronomical. It would probably be untenable. So, so the time was a weird thing. We came to market, we built something before there was a customer. And then we had to convince the customer that they needed it. Um, we came to, uh, we started building when the computing power was just not readily available. There were no computers small enough to fit in a car or in a satellite. It just would have been impossible. Um, so time, how would I do it differently in hindsight? If that was not an issue and computer power is not an issue and, time, and, and we weren't early in market was, would be that I would go to clients and better understand what it was that they really needed instead of me trying to guess. Customer discovery, I guess is the, the key word here. I was grasping at straws. I would go to be go to clients like Adobe and say, wouldn't this be great if you use this? And they'd be like, yeah, but that's not how we use it. And we're like, oh, Jesus, you just sunk six months to nine months of development into something we thought Adobe might want to use for their, uh, their Photoshop or Illustrator. Um, when in fact, it wasn't, it didn't, never, it didn't fit. So customer discovery, uh, not just finding the customer, but actually sitting there and talking to them way beforehand and, and, and offering our abilities to build stuff for them uh, would so, be my... So now, uh, mm -hmm. how would you approach, so how would your approach to the customers be different? Um, you're saying customer discovery, not just finding out who might need your product, but also figuring out by conversing with them yeah. what they might need, what aspects what they might need, and also how their, 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 their uh, tech stack flows. Now, we had a very, very, in hindsight, probably also pick a company or pick a product that's a lot easier to develop than computer vision. Um, but, you know, that's what we decided. So in this particular case, it's very technical. And to get one client, we would be very lucky and happy to integrate into their tech stack would be a very complex situation. We are very, we are very niche. It's not like you just add it on. It's not you just glue it on to their system and say, yeah, voila, it's, it's done. No, this was a, a, a big lift each time. So, so as you say, it wouldn't just be possible to build a plugin and then sell it to individual customers or something like that, like build a Photoshop plugin and make it work or that wouldn't be possible? To, well, first of all, the person plugging it in would be have to be extremely knowledgeable and understand how to use it. It's not for the layman use. I mean, this particular product was just not, could not be designed that way. It's, it's not a plugin. Um, we had an API that we were heavily, you know, that we sent to clients 
to test out, but we'd have to sit with them and show them how to use it and how to integrate it. So again, a big labor cost there. Right. So what what were, I mean, eventually you did sell this company and obviously highly sophisticated technology, you could argue it's a, you know, a great contribution to computer vision, you know, to self-driving cars and therefore to society itself. Hope so. argue, yeah, I mean, you could argue many, many things, but, and I don't want to get too ridiculous here, but, but I think those, those are, those are legitimate, you know, possible outcomes, but so what worked, what, what went really well and what would you repeat? What are you going to repeat now um, in your green business? Incentivize green, I think. Yeah. Well, speed, uh, knowing that we are, you know, we, in essence, we, we had the luxury of going it slow. We hired a lot of professors and, and, and PhDs who were, they were working at a different speed than, than most startups. Um, we didn't have a lot of competition. Um, so this is a, this is a different breed. Uh, I would not hire, you know, those kind of people again. They're great. They're academics and their goal, their measure of success was to have a paper published and submit it to the computer vision conference once a year. That was their idea of success. And so there was no there was no alignment for them. They're like, oh great, I got stock options and you know, but really my prestige as a professor, as you know, a PhD candidate is these papers and get peer reviewed. That was their <laughs> the holy grail. Um, so that's definitely <laughs> isn't there isn't there a good side to that to hiring academics? Isn't your cash burn slower with academics than it is with professional programmers or professional talent who are just looking to make money. Yes, I mean, that's true. Uh, although professors are and, and just as greedy as, uh, as the rest of us, uh, they are actually, um, they, they would like to augment their, their status as professors and, and make some money. But having said that, it's true. But in this particular case in computer vision, we needed that expertise. There was no way that we could just have a bunch of developers who did not understand computer vision build something it was very um it was a physics-based approach that could not just be you know you could just send developers on it so in this in this new green fintech it's a lot simpler um however um our big issue is we had to deal with the government so we have a lot of people that work in policy and so a little bit of similar i i when i talk to these people i have a, a same feeling as i did when i was talking to the professors these people are very, you know, they work for the government and it's it's a different beast. So, but we're trying to speed the whole process up. We've got developers. It's not rocket science like uh, computer vision. Um, it's just a lot of data that needs to be processed. So, so but so what what so what are you taking from the, the your vision startup that you're bringing to the table here? What and what is completely different? Um, what I'm bringing from the uh, from the computer vision companies, well, definitely a good um, management background that I that I learned working with people, cash management, working with investors, uh, uh, and and working with clients. Those those aspects that's that's can be learned at in these uh, incubators and accelerators, but 
it's really the, the practice of doing this year in, year out. Um, that's the that's what I'll take with me to the other uh, startups. Um, and I, I hope that is um, fruitful. Uh, what I won't take with me is the complexities and the the slowness uh, that I can't tolerate anymore. The, the the fact that things drag on and on and on. So, so I don't want to work with, you know, have a situation where clients, I have a, 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 a software that is so complex that it can't be uh, easily integrated into their a client's uh, software stack. Right. So, so what... Uh... So what time frame? So the original time frame was 15 years. I'm sure yeah. you thought you would have been done in six or... Oh, yes. Yeah, you went in thinking, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to be out in X number of years, but less than 15. <clears throat> What's yeah. your time frame now with the incentivized green? Incentivized? Well, we hope that um, not only will we be operational and making revenue um, within this year, so that'll be a, a much shorter time frame already. We're also building it, which I didn't do with uh, with Tandon. I hoping to build this company so that it is acquirable, so it can easily be absorbed into a larger entity. Oh, that's really interesting. Let me hold you. Let me stop you there for a minute. Okay. So, what's the difference between an easily acquirable company and an asset that's more difficult to? absorb and, and realize the value from? Well, think about uh, the first one was that it was very, um, it was hard to understand. It was, maybe we didn't do a very good job explaining it. Now I'm maybe better at it explaining it today, 2023 than I was, you know, in, the, in 2010, um, but it was not, something that they could wrap their mind around. We were too bloated with professors and, and, and staff, and it was a, um, it was not a, a company that you could easily absorb. Um, for example, if you absorbed us at the time, there would be professors from all sorts of universities. That in itself raises red flags uh, for some companies. So, um, yeah, and there was also uh, some of our code was built in MATLAB, uh, which was not uh, optimal. Uh, MATLAB is an experimental, you know, platform for for testing things. And although some of it we wanted to port over, it just you know without an, an actual client for that particular product, it wasn't feasible. Right. So we had a lot of stuff like, okay, yeah, this is this is great, but this is all in MATLAB, and you know, what can you do with that? Uh, so I'm getting into the weeds here. This new company, we're trying to be lean, mean. We're, we're, we're trying to be uncomplicated. The financing is also uncomplicated so that there's no weird um, financial structure. So in this particular case, I'm doing very uh, standard. Everything's standard. Um, if you think of a, a standard startup, we probably are hitting the check marks on it. Okay, so um, so in the in the previous one, uh, how, how did you raise the money for the first one, and how, what has that taught you about raising money for this for the second one? Yeah, well, we were very lucky in the first one because we found a investor who was an engineer, who was uh, an inventor, 
and 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 who had the money and he was willing to to invest in this. So that was really our 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 first shot in the uh, in the arm. Um, how uh, you know just continued over the years and, and and we we were always you know operational so for 15 years we were managed to to, to pull it off um without getting too much de too too much details but uh, did you manage to get did you manage to get additional investors to keep the ball rolling or was it just the one investor who kept believing in you and kept believing in you that and the VC yeah so but at the end we were I think we were all very, um, we were all very tired. We were exhausted after that experience. It was a long time, maybe too long. So that's the other thing I, uh, that I don't want to repeat with a new startup is that, you know, after five years uh, as an entrepreneur, you start, the, the thrill of building something is gone and now you're just running a company. And I learned for myself that I enjoy the, the thrill of building I like the the thrill of you know creating new st structures, uh, building from the ground up, um, not necessarily running it day to day. So that's not uh, it's not as interesting. So um, with this new one, we are we we haven't found that golden uh, investor yet who's uh, willing to put in millions of dollars, um, but we have found a, a good collection of investors who are interested in 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 uh, green technology, interested in mitigating climate change, um, and and um, and not necessarily just uh, giving it to a, a non-for-profit who are seeing this company as a potential to make revenue and return a profit on their investment. So. And so what were the, I mean, this new one is new. So I'm yeah. assuming you haven't encountered many dark days yet. Right, but yeah, those, sorry, carry on. No, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you can have down days, you just wake up and just like, Well, what have I done? Not again. <laughs> this is just so what was, what was I thinking? We'll be sitting but, on the beach somewhere, but you must have had some really dark days in those 15 years. Oh, yeah, would you like to describe? And this is, you know. This is this is a little sensitive, but could you go over one of them and like one of the issues that you had without getting too specific and how you overcame it? Like, you yeah, know, I gotta, I gotta be careful because there is a story I would like to tell, but I fear I might get sued. <laughs> so maybe, maybe not. Yeah, no, that. keep it keep it clean and keep it lawsuit free. No, no, it would have been clean. I just uh, I think you would have they would not have liked me divulging this uh, information. A lot of time has passed, so maybe they don't care anymore. But um, no, I mean, there was some issues dealing with the VCs. That's always unpleasant. And that's what I let's let leave that one. Um, but another one was just getting close to running out of cash. Uh, several times where we had to take uh, pay cuts, or we'd stop paying ourselves, the management team, uh, for a few months just to get over that hump, uh, the cash flow hump. And um, that was scary because we were like, okay, so what this is it? Is this really it? We're, we're like, we've been doing this for eight years, and all of a sudden now we're, we're, we're done. 
because we we messed up because the clients we couldn't get the money and you know that was tough um i had to conserve money sometimes and then other times there was you know not, it wasn't an issue so it, it was if anything i could can say to and uh entrepreneurs is cash flow management is key um it's not sexy it's not fun um but projecting out your expenses and try and um flatten out those highs and lows so don't create a big burn rate which is what i'm trying not to do in this new startup i'm trying to be very lean not a big burn rate and hopefully um succeed so well, that's great advice i think everybody can use that even if they're not um you know they're not in a startup like my my, my development company is not really a startup you know it's been no. like 25 years <laughs> or we're not a startup at this point but cons yeah but leveling out the highs and the lows that's really good advice for everybody i think yeah and um man uh, i would say stay away from vcs but you know it's it's a necessary evil sometimes Find the best VCs if you can. Find VCs who are interested in um, supporting you, interested in helping you succeed, and not interested in um, in immediate return on investment, and willing to cut you out for uh, expediency. Once you have a non-scientist, for example, on the on the board trying to tell you what the science is or when you have somebody who's a in my case in this new one a non-climate tech saying you know oh, you guys are wasting your time with this green green stuff you should just you know try and make money by selling big suv trucks then you know you've got a problem you know you're like okay well that's not the corporate mission but um yes that will make you a lot of money which is what the vcs are trying to do i you know that is their their goal Okay, I mean, I think that's an extreme example, but it is. <laughs> it's an extreme example, but what do you do? So, I mean, that's how I came about the um, the title of this uh, podcast, the founder's dilemma. The original yeah. article was in the I think um, MIT. Can't remember which one, uh, MIT Business Review, and it's talking about the founder's dilemma being: you can either have money, or you can have power but you can't have both. No. And so how would you, like what, what kind of balance do you strike between money and power? Because the way you get money is by selling equity. Yes. And, 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 and then the people who have bought the equity, they have influence. So yes. what, what, I mean, you've, you've done this rodeo twice before or you're doing it the third time right now. Yeah. So what's your advice regarding money and power? It's a delicate dance and it's, it's, it's like a tightrope. Um, and this is what a lot of uh, entrepreneurs fall off, uh, fall off the, uh, the, the tightrope, right? I mean, you have to give it, for example, for all the, the jokes people give and say about Mark Zuckerberg uh, and how he, you know, how, what kind of person he is and what he's doing, I have to give him kudos to staying on the wagon, staying on the horse this whole time. He must've been, so many people tried to pull him off 
and uh, but he's still doing it. And so I, I, I congratulate him for that because um, that must've been really hard. Um, so yes, again, power and money. You need money or you can't succeed unless you're, you know, you've got a trust fund, which in which case you probably don't have to drive to do it. But uh, if you have to drive, um, trying to marry those two, you need to find the right investor, an investor who believes in your uh, mission, believes in your um, your vision, and is willing to support you um, to a certain point. Um, you could run into a problem where your investor is fantastic and then he dies and his son takes over. And then you're, you know, you've, you're misaligned all of a sudden. Um, you could run into a situation where you have the wonderful VC um, that, ha that has a mission um, and all of a sudden they, they're absorbed by a bigger entity. Um, you could have a situation where, as an example, SVB Bank, uh, it's not the perfect example, but this was a bank that was designed for startups and for entrepreneurs. Um, well, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> Is a different animal. So well, overnight, worked, you are. Years or it worked for thirty years or something, right? Or forty years, or yeah. Well, it's around for a minute. For the last ten years, they've really, really started to become a, a big part of the the uh, startup community, and and you could see that they not only were they supporting all these companies, but they were giving out loans, and all of a sudden, that is now in question. So. I haven't followed exactly what SVP looks like today, but um, here you have a case where things change overnight. So yes, it's a delicate balance between power and money. You got it. This is this is something you need to keep a good eye on. Who am I taking money from, and what does it mean? Is this person a uh, a meddler who's constantly you know you have the you have the situation where you have smart money right and dumb money. Um, and there's probably lots of other terms for it too, but you know, it's great to get money from people who say, okay, here's your money and uh, don't bother me again. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear anything from you. That's great. However, they really don't, this, they, they won't introduce you to anybody. They won't really um, help you on your, on, your, on your journey. And then you have people who do that, which is great. And then you have your meddlers. Um, who are constantly questioning every single decision you make, put doubt in your in your in your mind, and actually make you, I think, make you make the wrong decision sometimes. Because there's, you know, you say, oh, well, this my investor keeps telling me that I should be doing this because they'll make money. And then you do do that, and you and it turns out it was the wrong way. What other things have you learned through your experience? Because you've been doing this for like 18, 20 years. God, Did you less invest in banking? Yeah, I did investment banking for almost a decade, um, which was a, you know, talk about a great uh, boot camp for, for business and, 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 and work. Uh, I was working for a bulge bracket firm and, and it's, you know, sometimes I'd sleep underneath my desk. Um, it was crazy hours, especially when you're an analyst um, and you get exposed to so many different variety of um, clients, but, uh, you know, different problems. Um, so I, although I probably cursed it at the time, I think it was a great, uh, base of, that I got. And then, um, 
but then instead of, you know, a lot of my friends continue doing finance, um, stayed in the banking or continue doing finance, you know, in, for VCs and they might be much richer than me. Um, but I think I feel like I have had a richer life um, and more, more, more experiences and more uh, uh, joyous experience. Um, so actually that leads me to something else. So um, I know you have a family. So, so work-life balance, like you're doing a startup, you've got to do 14 hour days or maybe even more. Yeah. How do you strike a work-life balance under those circumstances when you have you know investors breathing down your neck and they want to see returns and you you truly believe in the mission and you're trying to get it done and you hit you know you hit some kind of roadblock and then your wife or your girlfriend calls and says you know the kids want to say goodnight so what do you do well it's a good question so this is something i did not even know about myself until somebody pointed it out to me that throughout my entire life my entire career even in banking I managed to always live close to the office. So when I was in banking, my <laughs> I got an apartment across the street from the office, which was brilliant for me because that enabled me to sleep a little bit longer. Um, and now I, I do the same thing. I try to work as close, live as close as possible to my work um, and still be able to separate the two. When I leave this room, the door closes and I'm, I'm in you know in in my own world um but so yes in this particular case i i'm working you know now it's acceptable i you work from home but this is my uh, my office inside my house in in manhattan um when i with the uh, the other company i had a uh, a workspace uh, sort of like a we work it was two blocks away Again, trying to minimize the distance from work and so that you could easily be with the family, be with the wife, be with uh, in your life. Because, yeah, otherwise you could be consumed by it. You could be working nine day. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I would say is just at a certain point at, at night, turn off the laptop and try and um, try and read a book, try and just disconnect. Sometimes I just completely disconnect. People get a upset with me because they send me emails and they say, you didn't, you didn't respond. I'm like, I'm sorry, I just disconnected. I did not look at anybody's emails. Um, and you have how, to- how, how, how long do you disconnect for? Like eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours? Like a full day. You need it. Um, it's, <laughs> on the weekends, for example, it's, it's necessary. Uh, you can't you can't survive otherwise. Or you can, but it's just not going to be very uh, fruitful. Interesting. That's great advice. I think that's great advice for anybody. I have a slightly different mentality with regards to distance from work. Yeah. I live in Harlem. There's we there's we work in Harlem. Um, yeah. I choose not to go there. I have a co-working space I go to. It's on um, 35th, 37th Street and Fifth Avenue, hmm. and it gives me a nice commute. So I like the commute. I like getting on the train or getting on my bike and riding downtown okay. and coming back. And then I feel like I can disconnect at that point. Once I go back, then, you know, the laptop is closed. Most nights, not every right. That's It is true. I could, I could see that. That's a beautiful way. And, and uh, maybe that's something I'd lack, which is that, that my, my disconnect is a few, few seconds, a few minutes. Um, so 
Yeah. How long does the commute take for you? Um, I've recently bought an e-bike kit for my Brompton, and yeah. with that, it's like 25 minutes, or okay. with the A train, it's 25 minutes. Okay. Uh, uh, and then if the if I'm riding a regular bike, it's about mm -hmm. 35, 40 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and if I get on a local train, it's about 35, 40 minutes. So it's somewhere between 25 and um, 45 minutes. And mm -hmm. I find that, you know, if I'm on the bike, I ride through Central Park. It's just beautiful. It doesn't matter what season it is, whether it's raining or it's sunny. It's just always beautiful to go through Central Park. I love that. And um, I try and... I, I used to time my rides and see if I could beat myself. And then I figured <laughs> out recently, quite recently, I know this is embarrassing, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, I, I figured out that that was kind of dangerous. I was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I hope so, you're wearing a helmet. So I stopped. Yeah, yeah. But I stopped timing myself. But I, I, I have a rough idea of how long it takes me. But, yeah. you know, the, 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 especially the physical exercise, but even just walking to the subway and sitting on the train, as long as there's not too many crazies on the subway, which you know, is variable. Yeah, it's a variable, but um, makes it interesting, right? Gives you something to talk about. But um, yeah, and then going there and then meeting people, the people I work with, uh, the people I work in the same space as, they're just friends. Then they're, they're not colleagues. My colleagues are all remote, but it's nice to be with people. I like sitting across the desk from somebody. And of course, some days I get there like Fridays and nobody's there because it's New York and people still haven't started going back to the office. <laughs> That's true. Um, I do miss that. I have to say before COVID, I was in an office and it was wonderful. I was seeing everybody and, and co-mingling. And now it's, I need to get back to that. I'm starting, I've been a little bit used to working from home, but it's, uh, I need to get back to it. Yeah, there's the convenience, but there's less serendipity. I mean, what I really find is there's serendipity when you're around people, Yes. You can find things that you would never have stumbled upon uh, in, in this, you know, remote work from home world. It doesn't. Absolutely. I mean, just being, oh, I got so much energy. I went to uh, a meeting, a clean, uh, was a clean tech open uh, meeting in um, New York City. In, in, sorry. I went to a meeting for clean tech open on uh, the Upper East Side. Um, and just being around people, like-minded people who are trying to do something similar gave me so much energy. For the next three days, I was like on cloud nine. I was thinking about, think, thinking about ideas and how we can expand the company and we do this, we can do that better. We can meet with this, uh, we can collaborate with this person. So yes, I think it's essential. And that's the other thing I would, the advice I would give to uh, startups, try and find a good incubator, try and find good accelerators. I know they're hard to get right now, but um especially in your field these people will help you they'll move you forward and they'll give you ideas um that's 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 the name of the game and, and don't and also don't worry about you know people who are so worried about um their ip they're being secret about things and and you know so oh, i can't talk to you what i'm doing it's you know oh when i'm done and i'll release it to the public well, that's a bad move Talk to as many people as you can. Um, you'll get feedback in the, you know, that you desperately need to build your product, to build your company. So, well, so thank you, Matthias. <laughs> I, think, I think this is this has been wonderful. I've got some 
We've got some great talking points about specific things that founders can learn from your experience. We've got some commuting tips from me about not, not timing your commute on your bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> so Matthias from Incentivize Green, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I hope to see you in the real world soon. Yeah, I know, well, now I know where your office is because I, yeah. I used to go to that WeWork. So uh, on the 34th and 5th Avenue. Oh, it's not It's not a WeWork, actually. But anyway, you should come by. And oh, okay, sorry. It's not a yeah, WeWork. Yeah, that's okay. We've, we've made our own WeWork. <laughs> that's good. That means you, your company's on to uh, bigger and better things. So congratulations. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.